0: We are in the midst of a series, we're to a very famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. And up until this point, the theme of this book has been that Jesus is better. The author of Hebrews writes to a group of Hebrew Christians, Um, they're Hebrews, and they have belief in Jesus as their savior. But for one reason or another, maybe it's uh, opposition or persecution, They are thinking of going back to their old practice of Judaism, going back to animal sacrifice, worship in the temple, the things of old. And they are starting to doubt if Jesus is all he, it's cracked up to be that having faith in Jesus. So the author here over and over saying Jesus is superior. He's superior to angels. He's superior to prophets. He's superior to the priest, to Moses, to Aaron, to Joshua, Uh, the book. Um, we can understand how Jesus, throughout the book, he's making an argument for how Jesus is better. It speaks to us today, um, not in that we're tempted to go back to animal sacrifice or worshiping in the temple, but rather it speaks to us as those who here are believers in Christ or perhaps those of us who are here investigating who Jesus is, that we might be tempted in the face of the hardships of our life that we might be tempted to turn back, to go to something other than Jesus to to find our hope in. Maybe it's work or money or relationships. For one reason or another, we're tempted. And here in our passage we heard last week, Pat, he told us, um, hold fast and draw near. And the author tells us these things because there is a temptation to do so. For one reason or another, the hardships we face. It reminds me of... The year 2008. For us, it was a season of hardship. In 2008, if I if I wasn't wearing this long sleeve shirt, you'd see this awesome scar that I had, and not many people know why I have that scar. I have lots of stories I tell, but the long story is I broke my arm really badly. And shortly thereafter, we experienced more hardship. Um, Stacy's dad passed away, and then shortly after that. In November of that year, my dad passes away in the middle of the night from a heart attack, a cardiologist of all people. (laughs) He passed away from a heart attack. And then the next year, I total my car. And then after years of infertility, we miscarry. And uh, it comes to one, uh, that summer of July, and that's when we experience that uh, last hardship after many years of infertility. And we go on uh, a trip. that's marked with a journey. And this trip was a really particular special trip and it wasn't all I'm gonna make it out to be this morning because I have a lot of time to process how, what this trip represents for me and Stacy. Um, it was a trip to England because in this trip, I was part of an English Channel Crossing. My brother uh, and I are swimmers and uh, he is a very accomplished swimmer and uh, set out to accomplish the English Channel. Not me, but I was on his support crew and I got to be there right with him. The English Channel, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's 21 miles from the White Cliffs of Dover to the shores of France. The water, it's cold, 58 to 62 degrees Fahrenheit. And no, you can't wear a wetsuit. It's not illegal if you wear a wetsuit. It's the busiest shipping lane in the entire world and you're really not quite sure what you're swimming through all the time. Um, as I mentioned, I was part of a support group. So we rode on a boat, we rode on this sea satin. It was a 36 foot uh, big boat, it was pretty big, not huge. Um, and we were in charge of feeding my brother every 30 minutes to, to have him keep him going, encouragement and making sure he was on the, going in the right direction. And after 10 hours, 47 minutes and 18 seconds, He finished. (laughs) And in the last stretch, they invited us, my brother Zach and I, to jump in and swim that last 300 yards with him. And so we stood on the French shores, and looking back, that was a journey in the face of all of that season of hardship that was pretty cool. And um, there are lots of temptation for us in our lives today to turn back. Lots of temptations in our life to give up, the waves sometimes are really, really big. I've shared my story and our story, but you guys have stories just as tough, if not tougher. We want to turn back, we want to give up. And the author of Hebrews knows that. (laughs) That's why in verse 39 of chapter 10, he encourages them with this. We uh, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. How are we to to move forward in the midst of these hardships? It's this chapter 11, the answer is by faith. So what the author does here for us today, he's gonna give a description of faith, not the end all be all definition of faith, but he's gonna describe what faith is and what these people need to hear in this moment of hardship. And then he's gonna give some demonstrations of faith that we'll see some today and, and more next week. And um, they're there for a reason. And then lastly, I'll ask the the question, have us to think about what's the relationship of dependence and faith? So first, this morning, I want us to look at this description of faith. And uh, what we're going to see in this description, we're going to see the character of faith, the object of faith, and the importance of faith. So in our chapter, verse 1, the author says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So the first thing about faith's character is it offers certainty amidst uncertainty, right? You see those two words, assurance and conviction? These speak of things that we can be certain about. Another translation puts it this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I like that. Faith is substance. Substance. It's something we can hold on to. It's not a uh, pie in the sky. It's there to be had. And it's evidence of things that we can't see. Faith is a rock solid trust that when God makes a promise, it's true and right. Is, this, is there room for doubt? Yeah, there's room for doubt. But we can doubt as those who go, can go to God and to fight against doubt, to go to God and seek his assurance, his reassurance, That in those times of hardship, that faith is something we can be certain about, even amidst uncertainty. Why is it? Why is it that we can look for reassurance in these times of doubt? Well, the character of faith has certainty because of the object of faith. We get assurance from that which we put our faith in. And what we're going to see here, the object of faith in this passage is interestingly in things that we cannot see. Things that God has done and things that God will do. You see that in our passage there in verse one. No, it's the conviction of things not seen. These are things that are not seen in the past. Verse three, we see these things that are in the past. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, We see um, we weren't able to witness creation, thus, how do we receive it? We receive it by faith. And I, I like it that uses the word, by faith we understand, um, we understand, we think. We're not to check our brains at the door. We come as people with reason and, and rationale, and, and we, we are smart, we, we, can, we can intuit, we can think about these things. So um, challenge us to think and to consider how it is that We enjoy God's beautiful creation that is there to be seen. So we we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Um, These are things that we can't see, but we have faith in them. Things that happened in the past. We also, we can't see things uh, that happen in the future. Things that God will do. We see that in verse one again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We can't see into the future the day of the Lord and his creation, the day that the king will return that he will come to fulfill his kingdom. We live in the already and not yet, but there will be a day when it is fulfilled, when there will be a new heavens and a new earth, when there will be no more sin, no more death, no more crying. A day when we can hold and embrace our loved ones who are in the Lord, physically embrace them yet again. A day when we once again, as Dan was saying, we will say our confession of faith not in dispute with one another, but in solidarity, praising the Lord together, we will be able to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth and God's wonderful creation without sin and death and injustice. We'll be able to have, feel the dreams that catch with our dad again in the new heavens and the new earth. These are things that we know by faith we can be confident because these are things that we're not looking within ourselves to have confidence in something internal, but having faith, looking external, outside of ourselves, of something that will surely happen. So we can have this faith, we can have this confidence, this certainty, because it's looking for us looking outside of ourselves to that what God has done and that which God will do. When we are um, on that swim. I mentioned it was 10 hours and 47 minutes and 18 seconds. Um, and when you start out at the White Cliffs of Dover, you cannot see the other side depending on the weather. That day we couldn't when we started. And so we sat out and um, two hours into it, you, you start to see them, some things, right? And what I can remember seeing is uh, I'm look at the Cap Blanc Ness. And that's just south of Calais in France. And not only are there white cliffs in Dover, but these cliffs in France are very invisible as well. And you could see them just from two hours into the swim. And my brother stops and he said, it's there, I see it, are we almost there? <laughs> and, and I mentioned like, he's a really good swimmer, but uh, you can be a good swimmer, uh, but he, he if he would have taken off for that, apart from staying with us, he would not have made it. Um, So he needed his support crew to say, not yet, (laughs) not yet. There are eight more hours to go, even though he could, he had to swim, uh, not by sight, but by faith, he swam. And throughout all that time, um, he needed to not trust in his own efforts, but he needed to look to the boat captain, to us, his team, to help him get to where he was going. The object of his faith was not what he saw. The object of his faith was something that he could put his trust in, and we got there. We got there. So in the same way, our object of faith is not what we can muster up on the inside. It's not how we feel. It's not uh, what we think all the time. It's, based, it's more based on what, not what we do, but based on what has been done by God and what will be done by God and how that impacts our day today and what we do even today. So faith, uh, its, its character is certainty. Its object is those things we can't see, those things that God has done and that God will do. And faith is not only those things we know, but it's also very, very important. It's how we relate to God. And uh, we see that here in verse two. Check that out. It says, for by it, faith, the people of old receive their commendation. Faith is the way we relate to God. We receive favor from God. It was the way that people of old and people today and here in this space receive favor from God. Um, It's how we receive his unmerited favor, his grace. Have you heard this verse? For it is by grace You have been saved by how? Faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. So it's how we receive God's favor. It's also how we please God. We see that in verse six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We please God by faith. And that's how it's always been for the people of God. Um, In fact, that's something that um, I was reading a commentary by Michael Kruger, it's called Hebrews For You. It's a great commentary, I recommend it as we are moving through this series. And in this uh, commentary, this author speaks of Martin Luther, who you may or may not know was studying to be a monk. And Martin Luther saw the importance of being righteous, of having righteousness. And the way he sought to come about that righteousness for the big part of his life is he sought to do good works. He was studying to become a monk. And as we hear many say, he was trying to out-monk the other monks. And in reading uh, the Bible uh, one day, he came across the passage in Romans 1.17. Romans 1.17 was quoting a passage from Habakkuk. And in that passage, it said, the righteous shall live by faith. And in that moment, it was a light bulb, mic drop sort of moment. He came to realize that his faith did not come by him doing good works, but his faith came by him living according to the faith that's given to him because of Jesus. Luther writes, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Kruger notes here uh, a quote I think is important. So we must be clear that what we mean when we say we please God by our faith, it's not as if faith is meritorious or that it earns us anything of God's rewards. No, it simply means that faith is the sole means by which we receive the thing that saves, namely Christ. And since God is pleased with Christ, he is pleased with us. So as we think about where we're at Our author here of Hebrews is saying, I know your temptation to turn back. Don't don't turn back. Don't don't shrink back. Jesus is better. He says, we are people of faith. It's a faith with the character of certainty. It's a faith with the object of something outside of ourselves. what God has done. And it's important because that's how we relate to God. But you might be wondering, what what does that look like? What does that look like in the day to live by that sort of faith? Well, that's what our passage goes. And what he's going to do is he's going to give three demonstrations of faith here in our passage. And uh, we start to get into this incredible list of the Hebrew Hall of Faith. And I think it's pretty interesting that in this list we have names that we know Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, um, who else? David. Uh, Gideon, but there are some names in here that we don't really have heard much about. Uh, Abel, maybe, Enoch, who we'll study today, uh, Jephthah, Rahab, names we, we don't really know. So it's, we think, why these examples of faith? I think they all have a reason for being there, and I think they all have lessons to teach us. And I also find encouragement that not all of these people are uh, pictures of virtue. All these people, they have skeletons in their closet or maybe they're not skeletons. We know about them, right? They have problems of themselves. So in these examples of faith, I think what we see are ordinary people who live according to an extraordinary faith. I think they're stories for us as we consider what does it look like for us to live by faith. And as we think about why these stories, I would have you to think which story this morning compels you. As we sit as people who are a people of faith or perhaps people who are considering faith this morning, which one compels you? So the first is the story of Abel. And we see in verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended, um, commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So the story of Cain and Abel is the story of Adam and Eve's first sons. And it comes to us from Genesis chapter 4. And it's not long, and I'd like to, to read it for us. It says this, And again, she, Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, you must not, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, you know what happens? Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So we may have heard this story and what, what we've seen here is that the two brothers bring an offering to God. Cain brings fruit. While Abel, he brought an animal and shed its blood before God. And what do we see? God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. question we're all wondering is why? I mean, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And from the text in Genesis 4, we don't really get an answer. We don't really know why God accepts one and not the other. And because of this, there's been not a little debate. There's been a lot of debate in terms of why. But when we see um, this act through the lens of what we've been studying in Hebrews, we know that you cannot approach God in any way that you want. We know that to approach God must be done with blood. So we, we have an idea of why God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Of course, you we, we, we need to know that an animal's blood does not erase sin, but the, the blood of Abel's animal was a picture of the, the blood of Jesus that, that he would shed. And, that, and that's kind of the, the idea of what was happening there with Abel's sacrifice. But the lesson of faith is, that we have here today is that we cannot approach God in any way we want. Today, there are Cain's and there are Abel's still. And we we don't approach God um, on the basis of how great we are, either real or imagined. Nor do we approach God based on how not great we are, either real or imagined. The only way we approach God is through The blood of Jesus. That is how we relate to God. It's not about what we do to gain God's favor. It's it's about how God gives us favor because of Jesus and um, his his blood for our sins. That's a lesson that I would like us to wrestle with. Particularly, how is it that we feel right with God in in the here and now? When are those times that we're doing well with God? I, I think for me, I, I think about those times when I'm, when I'm checking all the boxes, <laughs> when I'm doing those things that I think I should do. Not bad things, but in the end, I let those good things define my relationship with who God is rather than the, the greatest thing to define what my relationship with God is like. The, the greatest thing being what he says about me, not what I say about me. So is that a lesson of faith that God would have you to consider today? A second lesson of faith is that of Enoch. And we see the story of Enoch in Genesis chapter five. And we read here in our passage um, in verse five, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And so Enoch and God, you should know that they were tight. They had a very close relationship. And in Genesis five, when we read about that in that very short section, Two times in that section, it says that God and Enoch, um, that Enoch walked with God. And we see again that by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Abraham went to heaven without having died an earthly death. Why? You might wonder. We see the answer in verse five. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Like Abel, Enoch pleased God by faith. What was unique about uh, Enoch's relationship with God? He walked with God. Our faith is marked by what we believe to be true, our knowledge, our understanding. Our faith is marked by our saying, yes, I believe it to be true. Not only do I believe it in my head, but I'm giving assent I'm agreeing that that's true. Our faith is then marked by our trusting in those things, our stepping out and saying, I trust that Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection was for me and that he rose from the grave. It's believing in those things. But in and through all those things, it's our walking with God as well. It's our having a relationship with God as we saw Enoch have here in this passage. This is a lesson of faith for us. What does your relationship with God look like in the day to day? I love how Pat had us consider that last week. Um, Maybe it's things that we can take an interest in here in the church, community group, Sunday school, reading scripture. For us, for me, it's about trying to stay engaged, to try to put something down as opposed to not uh, blocking the, my the Holy Spirit out, but thinking about Him and, and how He's speaking to us. In in this place, you'll note that I try to take notes because I check out. <laughs> if you think this is boring in here, welcome. <laughs> we we all wrestle with that, right? I get it. It's hard. Um, so that's why at the beginning I invite the Holy Spirit. You know, try to as we sing, I try not to worry about how I sound to others. I try to think about the words we're singing. Right? How, do, how what does looking by faith look like as we worship in this place? What is God trying to tell me? What is it when we read God's word? Do we know that this is a, the living and true words from the creator of the universe for us today? That these words are not just words on a page, but they speak into our lives today. These are things that I use to reframe this sense of boredom that I find when I sometimes come to church, okay? I, I feel that. If you feel that, it's okay, all right? It, we, we, we eat breakfast in the morning. We try to do a devotional. It's not good. No, it's terrible. But we try, okay? Uh, when, we go, when we go to school, try to pray for the kids with my eyes open, yes. But we pray for kids as we drive to school. Is it, do, do they like it? No, they don't like it. Do I like it? No. Do I have to listen to Taylor Swift while I'm praying? Yes. What is a lavender haze? I don't know. <laughs> but these are things that, that we do to try to engage with the Holy Spirit. These are things that I do <laughs> to try to engage with the Holy Spirit. Stacy, she studies scripture with her friend um, and they, they do so every week. And I'm like, you're doing it again? Yeah, she's doing it again. Why? It's hard to do that. It's hard to find time to do that. But they do that because she wants to hear from the living and true God. Is this lesson of faith hitting for you? What is an area of opportunity for you to be in relationship with the Lord? To know that he cares for you, that he, he smiles upon you. You have found favor with him. A third lesson is that of Noah. Noah teaches that faith is obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Uh, Here's someone I think we've heard of, you know, it's our famous children's story um, where God calls in a very sweet way all the animals two by two to the ark before he takes out the whole world with the catechism of blood. What a children's story that is. It's a very serious story and it's one of uh, amazing uh, warning and and, uh, but it's of, of amazing rescue. And we read in Hebrews eleven seven. it says, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning yet events as yet unseen. If faith is the conviction of things not seen, there are few better examples than that of Noah. Noah, he starts building an ark 500 miles from the sea in his backyard. He builds an ark 1,000 times too large for his family. Why? Because God told him to. <laughs> and... Um, In verse 7, we read that Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. And by doing this, it saved his family. And by doing this, God saves us, in a sense. Faith, it leads to radical obedience, even when things don't make sense. Are we willing, are you willing, am I willing to look outside of our own understanding to what God would have us to do. Even when we read things in scripture that we don't agree with. There are things in here that I have a hard time with, and I'm sure you're the same. Now, does that mean I take them carte blanche and I don't wrestle against them? No, we can doubt, we can question, but we do so knowing that we get these words from from based on what God has done and based on what God will do. We have faith, we have certainty, we have an object, we have the importance of this faith. Um, and I don't want you to miss this. Don't think that God was pleased with Noah because he was all that. He wasn't. Not because of his obedience, but God was pleased with Noah. Verse seven, he became an heir of the righteousness. Why? Because of what he did? Nope. But because of his faith, an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Which demonstration of faith is God? speaking to you about here this morning how might you be encouraged or even convicted to draw near to god in your relationship with god how might you feel invited to turn to jesus perhaps for the first time this morning based on what we know to be true about faith and how god works in our lives through faith with that being said and i'm almost done hang in there with that being said if you're like me you might feel frustrated thinking that I'm not feeling any of these things, right? We face apathy as a result. We experience maybe an imposter syndrome that Pat preached on a few weeks ago. Um, Do I really belong here? Why wouldn't I turn away? Is that you? Because I know what it means to feel that way. Um, And this is the last point. It's a quick one. And I want us to think about what does faith have to do with dependence? Remember, our author tells us in verse 39, do not shrink back. Do not be destroyed. We are people of faith. He gives this wonderful picture and demonstrations of faith throughout all of chapter 11. And then verse chapter 12. Chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those faithful in chapter 11, and all those throughout history who have been faithful, we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Great, it's talking about this journey. I think about the swim, I think about that long journey of endurance, the race that is set up before us. And then I think about the faith that we must have to do that swim. And then I get frustrated, right? So let me ask a question. By whose faith are we to run? By whose faith are we to do this journey? Is it our faith? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Looking to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He is the founder of our faith. We have faith by grace, through faith. That's a gift of God, not because we mustered it, up, but because God gave us that gift. Do you remember that? Do you know that? You don't come to Christ uh, on your own merits, but you come to Christ based on his merits, right? Jesus' faith, in a sense, is our faith. We depend on that faith, not what we can muster up inside us, not on our good days, not on our bad days, but on the day of Jesus that he had in the past, that he has today, and that he will have in the future, that Jesus is our king now and forever. We come to Jesus based on that day, right? That's pretty exciting. And what is he doing to this faith, his faith that's our faith? He's perfecting it. He's the perfecting our faith, right? He's at work in this faith. We are to run and swim with endurance, this race that's marked out for us, looking to him, our captain, so that he would keep us in the right direction, so that we would get to where he has us to go. We don't know yet. Wouldn't it be nice to know? But we don't know, but we can trust him with where he's gonna take us, even through those moments that are not so good, because they are there. Our, our season of many years is going to come. It's going to return. We might find ourselves in these seasons soon. And how do we know that what he's up to perfecting our faith? How do we know that he's good for it? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the relationship between dependence and faith? It's big. We don't rely on our faith. We depend on the faith of Jesus. Questions to consider. What might it look like if living by faith meant depending on God's faithfulness rather than on our faithfulness? How might this affect us in our day-to-day lives? Might we experience more certainty In this faith, might we find encouragement to not have to look within ourselves for faith, but rather outside of ourselves to those things that God has done and those things that God will do? Might we feel God's smile upon us, his favor upon us of how we are able to relate to him by way of Jesus? And might we too, like those regular, ordinary people here, regular, ordinary, sinful people, might we too demonstrate extraordinary faith just as they did. Two weeks ago, Pat and his benediction, and this is gonna be my benediction today. I'm gonna to say this as we leave. He quoted from 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul there says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray.